Hello and welcome to Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. Yeah, I'm, I'm guest hosting today. I'm Jim Timmer. I'm the director of athletics at Calvin College and teach a little bit in the kinesiology department as well in the area of sports management. And we are coming to you from the audio studio of our Daily Bread Ministries, which helps millions of people connect with God each day. For more than 75 years, their purpose has remained the same, to reach people with the life-changing wisdom of the Bible. And if you were listening closely, you realize that uh, my colleague, Chad Carlson, is away on vacation, but the show, of course, must go on. Jim Timmer is here helping us out with a podcast. Jim is the athletic director at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, soon to be Calvin University. Jim was a two-sport athlete in college and has been an assistant and head coach at the intercollegiate level for many years, but he has been in the athletic administration game for quite a long time. He, uh, he mainly is a guy that I would call an educated and thoughtful sports nut. I think... <laughs> I think Jim knows more about sports than anyone I know. Uh, he has lots of opinions, and sometimes they're right. So that's uh, that. That I think will help us uh, uh, get through some of our topics today. But also, I just wanted to thank Jim for being with us. Uh, just one question, Jim: How do you hit your driver into the middle of the fairway every time? I tell you what, it is a Brutes Litsky swing. That's for some old timers out there. Do the same thing over and over again, and hopefully. It- it turns out all right, but uh, I'm thrilled so, to be here. So it doesn't travel straight, no, but it, but it ends up straight. straight. Exactly. All right. All right. There might enough. be some life lessons in there. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty good metaphor. Where are we going to go with that? You know what? We're going to actually turn that aside. Yeah. Uh, so I would love to talk a little bit more with Jim, and we will, but we do have a guest here with us today. Uh, Tim Selgo is on the line with us. Tim, instead of in- introducing you right away, what I'd like to do is just talk sports a little bit, and then we'll uh, give a little bit more information about you. So I'm just going to give you the three stories or three stories that happened over the weekend. I'd like you to just choose one and give us your quick take. Do this sort of sports radio thing where you tell us your perspective on these things. Just choose one, otherwise we'll probably use up all the hour. Uh, so this weekend... Uh, we had the U.S. women's national team. They defended its title and won uh, back-to-back, but also its fourth World Cup championship. Also happening over the 4th of July weekend, Kawhi Leonard shocked the sports world by choosing the L.A. Clippers over the Toronto Raptors and the Lakers and convinced the Clippers to pay the Kings a King's ransom for Paul George. And finally... Joey Chestnut downed 71 <laughs> hot dogs. Your choice, Tim. Jump in and give us your quick take. Well, of, of all three of those, in my mind, there's no question the U.S. Uh, women's soccer team uh, was by far the biggest sports news of, of the weekend. Uh, I did eat a hot dog yesterday on the golf course. That's about as close as I came to, to uh, <laughs> knowing what happened in the hot dog eating contest. And uh, uh, I vaguely follow NBA basketball. Not a whole lot. I was aware of the fact Kawhi Leonard left uh, the Raptors. But, uh, you know, I, I watched the U.S. women's team in the semifinal win over England and uh, was unable to watch the finals. I was actually at church uh, during the, the time of the finals. And I, I, I admire that team. Um, I didn't like their celebrations of goal scoring 
during some of the preliminary rounds. There's no need for some of that. In my uh, mind, in athletics, uh, they beat a team, I think, with 13 goals. Okay, you know, they weren't very good. You don't need to celebrate that much after every goal. But I give them credit because I think there was a lot of pressure, and the pressure will build on our U.S. women's team each year that they win the World Cup. And to be able to deal with all that and come through, um, you got to give them credit. So I'll uh, I'll tip my hat to the U.S. women's team because I do think they have really um, brought soccer to the forefront in our country. Um, and I believe soccer is really exploding in this country, in, in part due to the fact of the success of our U.S. women's team. Uh, Tim, Jim Timmer here. Uh, just a follow-up. Um, I, I know your your history and your and Brian will get into that a little bit. But with Grand Valley, you guys got in situations where you were beating teams pretty handily. Uh, your women's soccer program, your track program, cross country, uh, football, um, and, and and under your leadership, how did you uh, deal with your coaches and your student athletes on that kind of celebration? Where does it? cross the line where is it you know where does it get fun did you address that directly or was that philosophically they knew where you stood uh i i addressed that uh, with our individual coaches that uh in, in those sports you know i uh the, the one thing that you can do in sport when you are clearly have your opponent outmanned and are clearly going to win the contest Make sure all those kids that are on the end of the bench get in the game. Now, when you're talking to U.S. women's national team, those kids on the end of the bench are pretty good. <laughs> <They're> really, <laughs> Score a lot of goals. You're talking about Division two or Division three college. You know, there's quite a drop in talent from your number ones versus your number twos and threes uh, on your team. So what, what I felt was important, and I learned this from my own father, who was an outstanding high school teacher and coach uh, at the small town that I grew up in Ohio, Pettersville, Ohio. My dad was quite successful, but he always said, you know, you don't need to uh, uh, run up the score against an opponent. You you must win with some class. And so I learned that from my dad. You have respect for all kids everywhere. And uh, uh, so, Jim, I I, I didn't – uh, I don't think I, I really need to had to address it specifically. The one instance I, I, I do remember, um, uh, because again, you, when you have your, your second and third stringers in the game, you know, you can't tell those kids to stop playing, but you know, you can change your tactics. You can, you know, adjust things and say, Hey, you know, we don't need to do, you know, to make embarrass. We don't need to embarrass our opponents. Uh, in football, in the early part of the 2000s, when when we had some really good teams and won a couple national championships, and at that time uh, our league, the GLIAC, uh, wasn't did not have the depth that it has today. And and in football, we had some teams that weren't very good at all, and we were substituting early in the third quarter, and we would were winning some games by 50 points. Um, but they could have been 60 or 70 or 80 point differentials, quite honestly, in some cases. Um, and Jim, as you know, in division three, there was a school, St. Thomas university in Minnesota that was kicked out of the M I, uh, AC, uh, their conference, their division three conference in Minnesota in part, in, in most part, because they ran up the score in football. They were winning games by 90 points. You don't need to do that. And, and, 
you know, you can you can clearly without just falling down, you can change your tactics and whatnot to, to not run up the score. And, uh, you can milk the clock. Uh, I remember Chuck Martin when he was our head coach in the early part of the 2000s. Uh, we had all our number twos and number threes in the game. Our opponents would leave their first string in the game, and they would run blitz uh, on every down because they knew we were just going to hand the ball off to our running back. And our poor number two and number three running back were getting pummeled because this team was run blitzing on every down because they knew we were just going to hand off and run the clock out and try to get the game over with. At some point, you know, I said, listen, you, you can let your number two and number three quarterback throw the ball if they're going to do that because we've got to protect that guy a little bit. So there's, you know, but, but the, the key of it all is you don't need to embarrass your opponent. And I thought early on in that uh, preliminary rounds, the celebrations in at least one of those contests where our, our team scored 13 goals, it, they, uh, they got quite a bit of publicity for being a little too demonstrative and deservedly so. You don't need to do that. Win with class. You're better than they are and uh, act like it. We're talking with Tim Selgo. He was a 20-year athletic director at Grand Valley State, which you may have already figured out. He was He's known as being a promoter of well-rounded, a well-rounded athletics department. GVSU had never won a national championship prior to Tim Selgo's arrival, but since they had won 19 Division II titles, 173 Great Lakes Athletic Conference crowns, and the Lakers have finished among the top two in the Learfield Cup, which essentially counts uh, across the board your uh, collegiate excellence, uh, your ability to, uh, to win on the field. And it's a it's a national number. Uh, Tim's also the author of the book Anchor Up, which tells his story about Grand Valley State, laying out a formula for what he calls competitive greatness. Tim, let's let's start there. Is competitive greatness just a synonym for winning? Uh, no, it is not. Actually, we borrowed uh, 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 com- the definition of competitive greatness from John Wooden, the great coach from UCLA. Uh, I grew up in the, in the 60s. I was a kid when UCLA was winning all the national championships in basketball. And uh, so I, you know, I've read every book John Wooden has ever written. Uh, I, I believe, in my mind anyway, John Wooden was the greatest coach of any sport at any level in my lifetime. And uh, I think he was a teacher of sport, a teacher of life lessons. And so. I, I, you know, John Wooden from a distance was a mentor of mine. Um, but at Grand Valley, when I got to Grand Valley in 1996, we set, uh, we had three fundamentals for success, as we call them. These were the things that we were going to hang our hat on. This is what we believed in for our staff. This is what we were trying to accomplish. And the first fundamental for success was create the best learning environment possible. Uh, we wanted our student athletes, uh, they were here to get an education. You know, we've had a few uh, uh, former athletes go on and play professionally. We've got uh, two guys in the NFL right now, Mike, Matt Judon and Brandon Carr, both playing for the Baltimore Ravens. And we're very proud of those guys. And I love, you know, watching the games. But the fact of the matter is when you're at Grand Valley or Calvin University or any, any non-Division one school, you know, you're not going to have many people go on professionally and do and make a living of it. So our job was to educate our student athletes. We were there to teach, help them get their degree, and prepare them for the rest of their lives. That's what college is all about, preparing them for the rest of our lives. Our, 
our, our third I'll skip to the third fundamental, which was a simple one: create the, uh, commit the energy necessary for success. Uh, very simply, if you want to be successful in anything, you must commit the energy to it. And we, as the staff, felt that uh, that was you have to bring the energy every day. And as Jim knows. When you're around 18 and 22 year olds every day, you better be bringing the energy. If you're not, you know they're 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 going to sense that. So you got to bring the energy every day. But our second fundamental for success, um, Brian, back to your point, is to um, uh, uh, challenge our teams and student athletes uh, to competitive greatness. And competitive greatness, as we defined it, as John Wooden defined it was coming through with your best effort and best performance when it is most needed. And that doesn't say anything about All-American. It doesn't say anything about national championship. Uh, it doesn't say anything about winning the game. It says coming through with your best effort and best performance when it is most needed. And that's hard to do. The only way to achieve that, the only way for the U.S. women's team to uh, come through with their best effort, best performance in the second half of that World Cup championship game is to do it every day. You must bring your best effort, best performance every day, and then you're ready for the big moment. Now, the sport is just the avenue in which it's often demonstrated, as in the World Cup. Uh, it was demonstrated by our team. But it's often uh, demonstrated daily in the lives of people in everyday life and in your work life and in your family life, you know, when you are most needed, are you ready to come through with your best effort, best performance, whether it is as a parent, uh, as a worker, uh, you know, as someone that's just a, a citizen in the community, uh, you know, you, you, in order to prepare to come through with your best effort, best performance, uh, you have to do it daily. And that's competitive greatness. So that's what we were trying to achieve our student athletes at Grand Valley, we wanted to challenge them every day to bring their best uh, out of them. And, uh, you know, that's not easy to do. Tim, uh, this is Jim again. I, I, one of my favorite stories, I think, goes to that point, and I'd like you to see if you could uh, relate the story in a, in, a, in a quick manner. But I think your leadership style uh, inspired people uh, to that competitive greatness. And you tell the story uh, about the young tennis player when you're trying to win your first all sports trophy at Grand Valley. Could you give us a brief uh, version of that and how that leadership style of competitive greatness twickled all the way down um, and you drove some distance? Uh, can you relate that sure. story? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's my best. Uh, it's my favorite story uh, of a young man by the name of Chris Penzine. Uh, Chris was a uh, tennis player on our men's tennis team in 1999. When I arrived at Grand Valley in 1996, uh, Grand Valley had not won the President's Cup. Uh, Brian, you referred earlier to the Learfield Cup. That's the national all-sports trophy. Uh, our conference that Grand Valley played in, the GLIAC, the all-sports trophy is called the President's Cup. And uh, uh, we had not won that since 1979 when I arrived at Grand Valley in 1996. So that was the vision. You know, hey, let's we're all in this together. Let's all get, you know, work, work to the best of our ability get uh, as good as we can and achieve competitive greatness by winning the president's cup. So we did not win it in 96. So we did not win it in 97, did not win it in 98 In 1999, uh, in the last week of the, uh, regular season of spring sports, 
my sports information director, Tim Knott, came to me and said, hey, you know, if men's tennis finishes third in the conference championship, uh, conference tournament, we'll win the President's Cup. And until that point, I had no idea that we had a shot at this. And uh, I said, you sure? And I said, double-check it, and he did. This was on a Monday or Tuesday. And I said, well, I better recheck my plans for the weekend and go over there and watch our team play. So I, I do that. And at those days, uh, we had eight teams competing for the conference tournament championship over in Midland, Michigan. Uh, some of our uh, listeners might know of the Midland Indoor Tennis Facility. It's a wonderful facility. And we're playing over there. And I thought we would win our first match, the quarterfinal match, and we did. And uh, so I plan to go over on Saturday for the semifinals uh, and, and, and finals if we'd won because the, uh, uh, in those days we played both those matches on Saturday. So I drove over on Saturday, and we got beat in the semifinals, as I thought. Michigan Tech got beat. And so the, in those days we had a consolation match. So I'm over there. Our team is playing Michigan Tech in a consolation match to determine who's third and who's fourth in our conference. If we win this match, this consolation match in a Division II tennis tournament, we win the President's Cup for the first time in 20 years in Grand Valley history. This is a big moment. Now, let me set the stage for you because there was only two people in the world that knew this <laughs> match mattered. Tim Knott, our sports information director, and myself. We were the only ones that knew. Our team didn't know. Our coach didn't know. Our players didn't know. And I am over there watching our team play. Now, mind you, this is a Saturday afternoon after they've already played in the morning. I'm, I'm quite certain they'd played in the morning. Uh, we got beat. Tech got beat. So here's two teams who have just lost, and they're going to play a consolation match. Anybody associated with sports knows consolation matches are almost meaningless, and they don't matter, and and, you know, our teams, both teams, I think, were kind of going through the motions, except for one guy. Thank goodness Grand Valley had Chris Penzine. Because in college tennis in those days, you had a total of nine points, three doubles points, six singles points. And at the conclusion of eight matches, the matches tied four to four. And Chris Penzine's playing number two singles for Grand Valley, and he's still out there, and he had lost the first set. All right, now, I will tell you this. I am the only person watching this match. <laughs> Nobody else was there. No parent, no friend, no media, no cheerleaders, no TV, no nothing. This is a Division II consolation match played on a Saturday afternoon in Midland, Michigan. And by the way, both teams' uh, schools had had finals the week before. So both players on both teams were heading out. Excuse me, and heading out for uh, summer break after this match is over. So when a college tennis match is four to four, normally the teams from both schools surround the court and cheer for their guy. Right? This is a consolation match. I'm, I can see it in my mind to this day. Not a single one of those guys cared about who won the match. They just wanted to get it over with. They were players laying against the wall and laying on their bags. They didn't have iPhones in those days. This is 1999 now. They probably had boom boxes and the earphones, I suppose. <clears throat> but none of them cared. None of them were paying any attention. But, again, for Grand Valley, thank goodness we had Chris Penzine. 
Chris Benzine was about five nine, five ten, about a buck thirty five, soaking wet. And he was those one of those guys that played tennis and he just kept it in play. Just drove his opponent crazy. He didn't have much power, but he hustled all over the place and kept it in play and kept it in play. He lost the first set. And he's in the second set and he starts to wear his opponent down. What I didn't know until about a year ago was that he had lost to this kid from tech about two weeks earlier. So that was added incentive for Chris. So mind you, our definition of competitive greatness, coming through with your best effort, best performance when it is most needed. Well, Chris has no idea this match matters. He had no idea what was riding on this match. And he played and played and just kept it in play and kept it in play. Pretty soon he wore his opponent down. He started to get frustrated. And he wins the second set. So now they got to go to a third set. Well, when he won that second set, you could see the players on both teams kind of groaning. You'd always hear the <laughs> groan, like, oh, no, we got to sit to another set. And, uh, you know, it's going to go longer. And uh, I look back on that. I can see Chris to this day, his gray T-shirt. We had uh, gray T-shirts back then uh, without much fanfare. And, and his, it was soaking wet. And he just kept playing hard. He came through with his best ever, best performance when it was most needed, and he didn't even know it was most needed. He didn't even know the President's Cup was on the line. That's competitive greatness. So he wins the set. He, he wears this guy down, and his opponent got frustrated. He wins the set. I can, in my mind, seem to this day give a little hop, skip, and a fist bump. And uh, uh, we win the game, or we win the thing. We, we finish third. We win the President's Cup. I go down. My, again, I'm the only guy there now. I'm the only person in the building besides the players and the coaches. And I go down and I congratulate our team. And I don't think they had any idea what I was talking about, President's Cup. We had won it in 20 years at Grand Valley. And I got in the car and I and whatever the, the cell phones looked like back then, I called Tim now. And I said, we just beat Tech. Are you sure we won the President's Cup? And he replied, yes, I'm positive. I called the conference office again today. And there's no doubt we just won the President's Cup. And I remember telling him, and he can verify that to this day, I want you to know something. Chris Penzine just played his guts out in a meaningless number two singles match for us to win the President's Cup. Now, that's competitive greatness. That's committing the energy necessary for success. And it's still, to this day, he's, of all the storied student-athletes we've had at Grand Valley and the Laker Nation you know, knows a lot of the great names from our past and our football players and so on. In my mind, Chris Penzine is my favorite Laker of all time because that match, we won the President's Cup for the first time in 20 years. And, Brian, we haven't lost it since. We've yeah. won it every year since. And, you know, my college coach was a guy by the name of Bob Nichols. I played basketball at Toledo. And Coach Nichols is still the winningest coach in the history of the Miramar Conference in men's basketball. And he always had a saying, fellas, you never know what one play will lead to. Well, uh, I've got a call here this afternoon with my, my publisher because I'm about uh, going to come out with another book here in the next hopefully six to eight months. And it's uh, centered around that theme. You never know what one play will lead to, meaning you never know what one great effort will lead to. Chris Penzine did not know Grand Valley would win 21 straight President's Cups, okay?
say, he changed our athletic department. You know, we, we thought we could be good, but at that moment when we won that President's Cup and we won the All-Sports, you could see the confidence in everybody in our department change. It changed, and the motivation changed. So, hey, we won this thing. We're not going to give it up, and we haven't given it up. Well, you never know what one great effort will lead to in life. You never know what one great uh, effort or one word of encouragement will mean to somebody else. And and that's the theme of my next book, because uh, we found that out at, at Grand Valley. That one kid made an unbelievable effort in a meaningless Division II consolation match. And that led to great things for Grand Valley. That's what one great play can lead to. That is that is a, a fantastic story and a fantastic foundation for, like you said, uh, a theme that can guide uh, not only your purpose in athletics, but in other parts of life. Uh, you never know. You never know. And the best thing about that story is that you were probably tempted to walk down there and kind of whisper in Chris's ear, right? Hey, hey, this matters. But instead... Just out of out of his sheer determination to honor that sport and that that competitive moment, he gave his all, and that all was good enough on that given day. And like you said, one small change can affect a culture going forward. We just don't know what that's going to be. Competitive greatness every day. Tim, uh, we're this is uh, this podcast is called Sport Faith Life, and. One of the things that you referred to earlier was missing the U.S. national team on Sunday because you were in church. We know that uh, you uh, practice Catholic faith, and uh, that's been a big part of your life going all the way through. But rather than just tell us how that links with your professional life, I'm wondering if, you know, the sort of mature, we've got it sort of figured out in some ways, Tim Selgo could speak to that first year athletic director tim selgo um is there anything that now that you've thought it through that you've determined you know i wish i would have known this earlier and and in some ways can you connect that a little bit to a little bit of your faith journey story yeah no i'd be glad to thank you and uh as you indicated uh i am a catholic christian and you know, we're all Christians, and, and whether it's Amen. Uh, uh, you attend the Christian Reformed Church, the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, we all have friends from all denominations, but we're still all of the Christian faith and, and followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, it's it's been, uh, uh, you know, the the foundation of my life. I think back, you know, when, when, he, when I think back to 1996 when I came to Grand Valley, Brian, just to start there. Um, you know, I've told people over and over again, and I share the story in our book, I believe in divine guidance. And, and, and looking back, there was no question. There was divine guidance that uh, guided myself and my family to Grand Rapids and Grand Valley State University. Uh, my journey, uh, you know, I played basketball and got both of my de- bachelor's and master's degrees in education from the University of Toledo, coached basketball there, became an associate athletics director there, and, and in my 30s, I wanted to be an athletics director. Well, I, I like to tell this story to people that are you know trying to move up the ladder in whatever profession they're in, whether it's coaching or administration or, or any walk of life, and that 
you know, uh, sometimes you just got to keep knocking on the door and the right one will open. And, 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 and I believe certainly God opened the door for us at Grand Valley because I finished second on four athletics directors jobs that I interviewed for, uh, actually three. And one of them, uh, I, I withdrew near the end because I didn't think it was right for me and my family. I didn't think the location, uh, in the school was, was right for us. Uh, and so I believe the divine guidance played a huge part in that. And, and, and when we came to Grand Valley, you know, we met the people there and, you know, uh, it was two and a half hours or so from where my wife, Terry, grew up in Toledo and where I grew up in Pettersville, Ohio, and close to our families at that time. And and it just uh, was right. And uh, I was very fortunate and thankful that uh, Grand Valley uh, chose me to be their athletics director. But it, in, in preparation of that move, I was associate athletics director at Toledo for eight years. And uh, Al Bull was our director of athletics. Al was a very external person. He, he was a fundraiser at Ohio State when Toledo hired him. He needed somebody internal, and that was me. And so I look back on that. I was the right guy at the right place at the right time then. I coached there, was, you know, had a good career as a student athlete. People respected me. So I was the right guy for Al to be his number two person, his internal person. Well, as Jim knows, when when you're the when all you're doing as the internal person uh, in, in really any organization, you're dealing with problems. You're the you're the guy that's to solve problems and and, and be the decision maker and 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 you know work with people that, in their relationships. And you always have you know issues with people. And and we humans are great at you know messing things up mm-hmm. and so i spent eight years dealing with those problems internally and i think i could say i became the go-to person for our staff and i you know I, there were times and moments in there when you know i would come home and talk to my wife and you know how challenging this was but i also knew it was preparation for me and somehow some way and again i think that's uh, one way god speaks to all of us uh uh, however it may be uh, that, you know, uh, just hang in there. Just hang in there. Just keep doing it. It'll be great preparation for you. And it was. And and when I got to Grand Valley as the AD, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew exactly how I wanted to, how I wanted our department to be. And so I, I look back on that and think of the preparation for that for me was, was not easy at all. And as we all know, you know, life's not easy. Uh, it's a complicated world we live in. Uh, you know, here on Earth, we got a lot of humans on this planet, and humans are really good at making things complicated and messed up. And mm-hmm. and so dealing with that, and I, I guess, Brian, the last thing I would say about that is, I, I I'm I'm work I'm going to work here this month on a third book. Uh, as I'm finishing this second book, I'm going to go work on a third book because <clears throat> my whole life, my father was a great mentor of mine, as I mentioned earlier, a teacher and a coach. My college coach was an outstanding uh, college basketball coach and, and teacher and a great uh, uh, teacher of life lessons. And both of them believe strongly in balance. John Wood believes strongly in balance. And, and you hear a lot of people talking today about work-life balance. And it's changed today uh, from when I was a kid because in, in many households, both parents are working. And... That, that changes the how to get balance in your life 
um, equation. And I think it's hard. And, and I don't think life is totally in balance for people. But the one thing that I had as a foundation was um, is start my day with a little devotional time. And I think many, you know, our Daily Bread has built uh, uh, their ministry uh, in, in part on the devotional booklets and, and so on that I remembered as a kid growing up. Because I don't see in those around because my dad uh, uh, had those booklets. And uh, so I start my uh, morning every morning with my coffee and, and my juice with a devotional time. And now I, I have uh, uh, some readings that I have from the from the Bible, and then uh, some uh, reflections on that. From a, uh, it's an app, of course. Today we we look at apps and and read the Bible electronically more so. Many of us do, uh, and then I I read, uh, and I'll read uh, in the morning. Uh, I actually might have a couple books going at one time: one for study and thought, and one for pleasure. I guess you would call it. Um, and in, in one of the books I'm reading right now is Moral Man and Immoral Society. It's a study in ethics and politics by Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a, sure. a theologian back in the early days. Uh, uh, and this book was written in 1932. So, you know, I, I, I love history. And so I'm reading what the thought process was for a guy like Niebuhr in 1932 when, you know, we were in the Great Depression or about ready to go into World War II and Nazis. Ism was was growing in, in Germany and and uh, you know that saying history repeats itself is true because moral man in immoral society a lot of good people can be led to do the wrong thing uh, it's, it's sort of the genesis of the book but then, nevertheless my point being is um, I think you have to have something in your life to remain grounded to remain on in balance and for me I have to start my day that way I've always been kind of an early riser i go to bed uh, i guess i i uh naturally uh assumed old ben franklin's early early to rise makes a man healthy wealthy and wise now i missed out on the wealthy part <laughs> maybe uh, i've caught some other things along the way but i get up early and that's when i have my quiet time and uh when the kids were growing up we have three children and five grandchildren now when the kids were growing up you know as you all know who have children, it's a madhouse in the morning. It's chaos once they start waking up and getting ready to go to school. So I needed to get up early to have my quiet time. And, and so tying all that together, my career uh, and, and how I ended up being uh, in athletics and where I am today, uh, I've got to point to the one thing that is constant in all of it, and that was my one hour or so in the morning that I had quiet time for, for myself and spend some reflection and uh, uh, trying to gain something from a d- devotional period. Well, Tim, thanks very much for that. Uh, what what I think is foundational answer that kind of gets to uh, where wisdom comes from and the process of wisdom versus foolishness um, is, is grounded in those good words, in those good practices. And uh, I think that sort of gives us a little bit of a glimpse of the type of uh, th- uh, deep thought that uh, we're uh, trying to get to with our global Congress. I'm not sure if you know about the global Congress, but it, it's coming up here in the uh, in October of 2019, October 23 through 27. It'll be held on the campus of Calvin University. It is a co-hosted conference between Hope College and Calvin. 
Uh, we'll be bringing in people from all over the world. There will be more than 25 countries represented. Many different keynote speakers that are very exciting. This is a Congress on Sport and Christianity. We'll have Loretta Claiborne, who is a Special Olympic gold winner, medal winner and the winner of the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage, an SB as well. Uh, theologian Miroslav Volf, uh, evangelical author and speaker Gary Thomas, Amber Warners, our own Amber Warners, uh, Division III uh, national champion volleyball coach, and, of course, Tim Tebow will be at this Congress as well. Lots of uh, excellent speakers who will be able to bring their own particular perspective on sport and faith, some affirming the role of sport and culture, many uh, critiquing the role of sport and culture. This Congress is not only for academics. It is for every practitioner, everyone who loves sports, everyone. It could be for a parent, a pastor, an athlete, a chaplain, uh, and if you are interested, you can find that on Calvin College's website. That's calvin.edu slash events slash 2GCSC. Uh, we're, we'd love to have you there as well, uh, Tim. That would be fantastic. As we get to the end of this podcast, what I'd like to do is what we, like, what we call a speed round. Maybe lighten things up a little bit. If you could kind of uh, loosen up your tongue a little bit. Let's see if we can work on the speed round. Uh, and then we'll sort of wrap up. Uh, ready for this? Uh, I'm ready, but I, I've got to warn you, at the beginning of that, you mentioned wisdom and foolishness. And, <laughs> you know, I'm 61 years old now, and I, I tell my wife, I do one moronic thing every day now. I, I do something. <laughs> Only one? I do that. <laughs> wow, you've well, arrived. Yeah, if, if it's one, I'm lucky. <laughs> Only one. So as we go to the speed round, I'm quite certain something moronic might come out uh, of me uh, at this early hour, but that's okay. We'll revise and resubmit, right? That's the power of editing. No, no worries whatsoever. Okay, other okay. than the Grand Valley Lakers, who's your favorite sports team to follow? Uh, well, I'd have to go with the Toledo Rockets, my alma mater. Wow, there we uh, go. Yeah, that's uh, I played basketball there, and and so uh, you know it's uh, it's going to be the Toledo Rockets. Best book on leadership, other than yours, of course. Um, any book by John Wood. Uh, there's I've got them all in my library at home, and and. Uh, I encourage, uh, especially anybody in the sports world, John Wooden's thoughts on leadership are timeless. I know he, he's passed away now uh, for about 10 years, and he, he, his heyday was the 50s and 60s and 70s, but his lessons on leadership are timeless. I would encourage anybody to uh, read any book by John Wood. What about, uh, hey, Tim, this is Jim Timmer again. I, one of my favorites, "Leading with a Heart" by Coach K, and I, uh, Dr. Bold is a North Carolina Tar Heel. I'm a Tar Heel, so, so I I really love that one, and it has some of those same principles that uh, that uh, John Wooden talks about, and, and basically that you know you're treating people as humans and and be able to uh, define them a little differently than just their skills. So yeah, I I've read the John Wooden stuff. The guy I coach with, Steve Banks, down at Ball and Walls, which I know you're familiar with. Sure. Uh, with your dad's uh, success down there, um, was a big John Wooden guy. Yeah. So, well, Tim. You know, I, you mentioned Coach K. Um, I, I admire him as well. He's, you know, done it through several different eras of college basketball because he's, I think, close to 70 now yeah. and still still going Amazing. strong. And I, 
admire people like that that have been able to. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's changed. He's got a lot of one and done players, of course, uh, but he's changed with the times, and you have to do that. So I give him credit for that. All right, back to the speed round. Just a few more questions. Uh, favorite sport to play or other hobby? Uh, bowling. Bowling. Uh, wow. I, nice. I, think that's I didn't one see that coming. Don't often know about me, but my parents, my grandfather owned a bowling alley. Both my mom and dad are in several bowling halls of fame. Whoa. Where we grew up. Uh, they're in the Toledo Bowling Hall of Fame. They're both in the Phoenix Bowling Hall of Fame. And my, my father's in the Ohio Bowling Hall of Fame. And uh, I, I gave up bowling from about junior high to about age 45. And, and I was at Grand Valley about six or seven years. And my good friend Joe McCormick called me up uh, late August and said, hey, we had a guy drop off our team. He knew about my family's bowling background. And he asked, would you, would you like to bowl on our team, our league team? And I said, uh, well, when do you bowl? And he says, Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. And I thought, well, Wednesdays are our Grand Valley teams rarely play on Wednesdays. And so uh, I asked my wife, she said, oh, yeah, you need that. You need to be <laughs> <laughs> And that helped me bring, bring some balance into my life, that in the middle of the week I went bowls with a bunch of great guys, Mike and Dennis Verkstis and Joe McCormick and, and uh, uh, Steve Bowes now is on our team, and, and I really enjoy that. Because I, I grew up around the game, so I had some skill and, you know, it was a way for me to be competitive again. So right. that was not a lightning answer, but bowling would be my answer. Uh, best uh, bowling score? Uh, I had one 300 game. Hey, uh, there we there go. There it is. Yeah. That one hole in one. All right. Uh, I've not had a hole in one yet. In fact, I've never seen one. <laughs> Those are easy. Of all, the, yeah. of all the college golf I've watched, I was always hoping I could watch a hole. At least one, one go in the hole. <laughs> Let me tell you something. With a 300 game, when you get down those last three, when you got nine in a row and you got to get three more in the tenth, collar gets a little uh, tight, or, doesn't or you're it? You're feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a little bit more, uh, um, maybe deeper question, real quick here. Most underrated tradition or practice of the Catholic Church? Uh, definitely underrated. I think by those that are not Catholic, uh, I think there's an assumption that Catholics don't read the Bible. I mean, I've kind of mm. heard that uh, a long part of my life, and, and, and that's just not—that's a myth. Um, in the Catholic Church, every Mass, there are three readings from the Bible. There's an Old Testament reading, and there's a New Testament reading, usually an epistle, uh, and then there's always a Gospel reading. And the Gospel reading is what the uh, priest will base uh, his homily on mm -hmm. uh, in combination with some of the other readings. So we have three readings at every Mass, and in fact, in, in any Catholic devotional, uh, there are, 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 are two readings every day in uh, a psalm as well. Uh, so there's, I think that's the most underrated thing about the Catholic uh, 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 Church yes. is that uh, uh, we, you know, I, I I guess growing up, you always heard, oh, Catholics don't read the Bible. Well, that's eh, not really true. Uh, and in fact, I think we do. We have a pretty good study of the Bible. So. Absolutely, and fantastic. So final question, best sort of one or two word answer, best part of college sports? Uh, well, I, a student athlete would be the sure. best yeah. uh, response. The kids are there to get an education. And they're allowed to play sport at a high level, which you can't. We, we're the only country in the world that has that system. 
Right. And man, it's a great. It has its flaws, as we all know. We read about all the flaws and the uh, uh, scandals and all that, but it's still the best. And I don't think people realize what what most people watch college sports on Saturdays. They're only watching two percent of college sport, as Jim and I both know. You know, we see college sport uh, through the eyes of kids in twenty different sports and. And it's a Division two and Division three level, and and uh, it's just a great uh, enterprise that uh, great tradition that this country has that other countries in the world are jealous of us because of that system. So I I would say student athlete would be the best answer to that. Awesome, and part of that uh, experience was a young Tim Selgo who. Uh, Folks don't know that he is the best uh, free throw shooter in Toledo Rockets history, 48 out of 52, uh, uh, a percentage of .923, which still stand, a record that still stands today. Uh, currently now, after retiring from GVSU, uh, Tim is an adjunct professor at Davenport University, a consultant with athletic staffing consultants, working on a second book and apparently now a third book while uh, uh, spending time with his family, his wife, Terry, their three kids, and now five grandchildren. Tim, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, it was awesome. Oh, thanks, thanks Tim. guys. I appreciate you having me on. Very good. This has been Dig Deep, podcast about sport, faith, and life, and we are out.